You're listening to Brand to Brand, a not so serious marketing show for serious marketers. With your host, Thomas Sterling. Welcome, everyone. Today on the show, we have a very special bonus episode and also a bonus atmosphere in terms of the studio space. (laughs) I mean, I want to say it's special. I also just want to say our film crew didn't show up because it's 420. (laughs) They're celebrating as they should. Somebody didn't make it to the office today. (laughs) (laughs) So we are coming to you live from what looks like news anchor positions, which I'm kind of into. Yeah, I like it too. It's nice. (laughs) The chair's a lot more comfortable, if I'm being honest. And for those that of you that are listening, sorry for wasting uh, the last 30 seconds of your day. Hey, if you're celebrating 420, you probably have time to kill today. That's true. Or you're paranoid. <laughs> special day today, 420. I don't know, 420 have a special moment for you, Veronica? I can honestly say, once they come out with a weed for people who don't like smoking weed, uh, I will be celebrating be, this holiday. You'll be first in line. Like yeah, I walk store. into a dispensary and I'm like, do you have a pot for people who don't like smoking pot? And they're just like, get out. <laughs> yeah, that's not, you're not a target customer. But today on the show, we are super excited to be joined by Jesse Channon, the Chief Growth Officer of Columbia Care, which is one of the absolute largest brands in the cannabis space in the U.S. And I think we actually have breaking news. This just in. After this interview with our dear friend Jesse Channon, Columbia Care was actually acquired by Cresco Labs, now making Cresco Labs with Columbia Care in their portfolio the largest cannabis company in the United States. With the recent news of the acquisition, it'll be interesting to see some of the brands that Jesse's talking about in this interview he's created, are they going to continue? Are they going to Mm. change? Mm -hmm. Is the overall brand structure of Columbia Care going to go away? Will that stay the same? So we are kind of at the forefront of watching how fast this industry is evolving and how you market around that. A hundred percent. And when you're dealing with a brand and then a whole host of in-house products, really dealing with this concept of house of brands versus branded house. I mean, there's just so many awesome takeaways. And with that, let's get into it. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. No, thank you. We're so excited to sit down and and get a chance to kind of hear a little bit about what you've got going on. I think um, such an interesting space, so much evolution uh, and, and so many things happening. Uh, would love, uh, before we just to kind of jump in, um, you're a technology and a marketing guy. Do you mind sharing just a little bit of your background before we get into it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the, the short version is uh, I had the opportunity to work in social and digital pretty early on. Um, was part of a founding team for a Y Combinator company that uh, Spring Batch called Page Lever um, that eventually sold to a ad tech firm in New York. I spent about seven years on Madison Avenue uh, building technology and tools for some of the world's uh, biggest brands and agencies um, to ultimately deploy capital into all of the social ecosystems from an ad tech point of view. Um, And then we also ran a big services business, so sort of a full service agency for media buying across uh, digital and social. Um, From there, spent some time in uh, programmatic content and influencer and then landed in the wacky world of selling cannabis. So that's that's sort of the, the short version there. 
Yeah, and I mean, really have had a chance to touch on so many, uh, you know, kind of different things uh, and really gotten exposed to so many things. But I think one of the things that was so fascinating for me was hearing that you actually put your background to work and and built a proprietary app kind of designed and geared around uh, kind of uh, simplifying the experience. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of how that unfolded? Yeah, I was very fortunate when I joined uh, Columbia Care we were at a really interesting inflection point as an organization. Um, the Columbia Care built a reputation as a you know medical focused provider, building a lot of sort of trust and quality and consistency of the products um, and the the sort of uh, pharmacy experiences that we offered. And we were at sort of that that critical path where we were starting to serve more and more markets that had either recently converted to or were converting to adult use sales. And there's unique challenges that come with that. And I think one of the biggest challenges is education and and finding a way to make uh, cannabis something that's more accessible to you know more and more people that are trying to integrate it into their life. And so when I joined, we already had a chief data officer who's incredible, Guy Hassassian. Um, and so we had a bit of a, a sort of the beginnings of a technology practice. And we looked around and we said, okay, we're going to simplify our stack, if you will. So we're going to move to a smaller number of third-party partners um, that we're going to dive in really deep with. So, you know, everyone, the industry is incredibly nascent and so is the technology. And so we wanted to focus on building really deep relationships with those partners to try to co-develop interesting features that we thought would give us an advantage. And we noticed a gap almost right away. We said, man, there's a lot of stuff out there that will help you buy it like a point of sale or track it like a seed to sale system or even uh, find it or buy it like an online menu. But there's not a whole lot of technology out there or services that are really focused on helping to bring newer users into the space um, and make recommendations for the products that they should integrate into their life. That's that's tremendous. And I think, you know, one of the, th- the challenges, um, I think, with with cannabis is just there's such a sea of, of, of options and people for the first time that are entering a dispensary. Um, there, there could be a lot of intimid- intimidation around just simply how many SKUs, how many different potential products are available. And so um, I think what was so interesting about actually getting a chance to go to the website and play around with it, it just it connects the sort of the human element, the feel, what you're looking for, right? Are you looking for a certain type of experience? Uh, also, I loved, you know, as part of that process too, it asks, well, where are you going? Are you going to a music venue or are you doing a, are you hanging out in the outdoors? So it really helps leverage what people are looking for. And, you know, I've heard you speak before. I've heard you talk about how the sort of health and wellness market is really just simply starting to grow. And there's so much opportunity there. No, it's, it, you know, it's interesting. I think the, the thing that makes makes it feel more human, right? To your point, those contextual questions are built in a way that follow a very logical flow of of how a conversation would go with a friend if you were trying to ask them about, well, what are you looking for? And, and, you know, it really all maps back to, I spent a lot of time sitting in dispensaries and engaging with experts in the space. And I would listen to them speak to potential patients or customers. And, For me, it all came back to this one sort of lowest common denominator question, which was the entire backbone of the of the architecture for the system, which which is how do you want to feel today? It's what it all comes back to, because 
cannabis, whether you're integrating into your life because you have something that is really bothering you or you're just trying to enjoy a night or relax or, you know, sleep more or my knee hurts or whatever it may be. There's a number of, of obviously a wide spectrum of use cases that we serve as an industry. But at the end of the day, it's really comes down to how are you trying to feel? And so when you think about that flow, right, when you look at application development and you start to think about customer journey and you think, what is that click track going to look like? For us, it was always, this has got to feel like a very casual conversation. Mm -hmm. And the wow mm -hmm. moment has to come in the prediction being as accurate as possible. And so those contextual questions take you down that path of, you know, how do you want to feel today? You start there. Do you want to dial in that feeling? You know, how are you, what are you going to be using it for? Where are you going to be using it? Is it a special occasion? Something like that. And then what are the forms that you're comfortable with? And, you know, believe it or not, from those questions, we can actually get to a pretty incredible level of granularity of these are the products that are going to best match what it is that you're looking to, how you're looking to feel. Shifting gears a little bit, you are in uh, the midst of a rebrand of sorts. Is that is that right? Where Columbia Care is sort of shifting and uh, it's you're kind of changing the name of some of your retail locations. Could you expand on that? Yeah, I, this this one was a fun one. So when I joined the company, everything was Columbia Care. So the name on the door, the name on the bottle, right? Everything was Columbia Care. And again, I, I sort of sat back and I watched and I listened to what people were saying and how people were engaging. And I realized there were two things that we needed. One, we needed product brands, right? This was going to ultimately become a game of brands, no question. And we're still very early in that game. But that's where you saw the launch of Seed and Strain and Triple Seven and Amber and Classics and all of these product brands that we have. The other thing that we had to do is we had to change the name on the door. And there was two reasons for it. And I, I firmly believed in that. You had to create a brand that stood on its own that would never be a product so that it could be a safe place that you could curate all of the best products in the state, your products and others, right? So third-party and first-party products bring the most curated, best selection of products possible into a retail ecosystem. And you knew when you were going in there that there was never going to be a product called whatever was the name on the door, right? We know now that that name is Cannabis, but whatever that name was going to be, it couldn't also be a, a product brand. So with the exception of Florida, where by regulations, we have to put that name on the packaging, there are no cannabis brand products anywhere else mm. in the country. The other thing that was very apparent to me, and I, I talk about this uh, a lot, but I took a trip to Florida. And Florida is an incredibly restrictive market when it comes to regulations for advertising and things like that. It's a medical market. And we were driving down the road and I'll never forget, it was a divided highway, as often is the case in Florida. And you're driving down, you have to make a U-turn and come back at something, right? And we drove in this direction and we passed one of our dispensaries. And I looked over and it just said Columbia Care. And there's no other signage that could be outside. It was just the name. And I remember at that moment, I turned to our COO, uh, David Hart, who was on the trip with me. I said, man, I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of stuff we could do. That could be a retirement home. That could be auto insurance. There's a lot of things Columbia Care could be. But I'll tell you what they don't do. They don't sell weed. There is no way that <laughs> Columbia Care sells weed. And so we were laughing and we went to the dispenser and we were, we were talking with the team about it. And so that was really a moment where I knew that the brand had to be very literal. And so we went through a lot of exercises. We looked at a lot of names. And very early on, our CEO, Nick Vita, said, 
you know, for better or worse, I know everybody says they want to be the apple of something. But the one thing that I love about an Apple store is that it's got a genius bar. I love that there's somewhere that you can go and get educated. I said, no problem. We'll build education bars in. What do we want to call the people behind the bar? And so we had a couple of different naming conventions that we're looking at, but the one that we all loved was a cannabis, right? It's like a, a name that already exists in the space. It's like a sommelier of weed. And so we said, all right, we're going to call the people cannabis behind the bar. And from there, we said, well, let's just name the whole thing cannabis. It's super obvious. You drive down the street and you see cannabis, yeah, which is cannabis with a T. And it's like, I know exactly what those guys sell. Absolutely. And I think like, it's just such a a beautiful looking brand package. You obviously spent some time thinking about how you wanted to position it, where you wanted to position it in the marketplace. It it, it really has some strong elements associated with it. Um, what what exactly, as you guys were thinking about, um, you know, a, a, a new brand moniker, yeah. a, a logo element, you could have gone clean, simple, yeah. et cetera. It just, it has a very, very nice feel to it. Um, could you expand a little bit on that process? Yeah, I mean, any great marketer will will tell you in this moment, or they should tell you, um, we had great partners. That's what makes a brand like this come alive, right? So we we had incredible partners on the agency side that we worked with, 22 Squared, uh, based out of Atlanta and Tampa. They were our go-to on the creative side, and they're, they're a super talented team. Um, so we got very lucky there. And then our internal team, very, very strong. We're, we're very fortunate to have the team members that we do. And so when we were going through the exercise, we knew we wanted to do blue because Columbia Care was already sort of synonymous with this cyan blue. I knew I didn't want to do cyan, but we wanted to do blue as an homage back to Columbia Care. And it was also something that had a lot of breathing space in our uh, industry. I mean, everybody does green, right? And if you're not doing green, then you go the opposite direction to like super loud yellow or orange, right? And so we were like, it feels like there's a lot of room here for a really pretty blue as a primary execution. So we went down that road and we did blue. Um, I wanted to do Art Deco. We're a New York City-based MSO. And there is nothing more Art Deco to me than New York City. Roaring 20s, Empire State Building, Chrysler Building. I just felt like it was such an iconic visual identity that no one was in, right? I mean, no one was building dispensaries with sort of art deco themes, right? And so I said to myself, I was like, all right, well, what's something that would feel really different? Well, I want the spaces to feel very elevated. I want them to feel very comfortable. So almost, you know, like when you walk into like a West Elm or a pottery barn or something, you just want to sit on everything, right? So I wanted them to be very comfortable, um, but feel sort of, you know, almost like that weird juxtaposition of like, I'm buying weed, but this place is like super nice, right? Like this is like a really nice, well-designed space. And I wanted it to naturally bleed into a time when consumption lounges become more and more normalized. Mm. I wanted a brand that had the speakeasy. And so I sort of, planted a flag and said, we're going Art Deco and we're going to make the inside of this thing look so obvious that if you bolted a speakeasy onto the side of it, mm. it would be like no brainer. Like literally just put in a door behind a painting and that's it. You're going into a consumption lounge. But that that was that's absolutely what happened. We just came together as a team and we collaborated and we said, this is really the direction that we want to go. Um, and from there, I mean, the rest is history. They just 
took off and ran with it. I think you're a tremendously humble guy because it sounds like you identified that obviously the name didn't necessarily properly bring you guys forward, that it was confusing. And I think for you guys to go then Apple store field down to how do we make this lounge of the future where people would actually want to come and sit down. And as you transition from what is a kind of retail experience to experience where people are almost extending their stay and, and, and uh, consuming the product on site. I mean, that's, That'll be tremendous. I mean, obviously, thinking about the future and thinking about you know uh, what what these uh, lounges might look like, but also thinking about maybe drawing inspiration. Are you following any other uh, emerging software markets industry? We talk on the show about crypto and and metaverse and all, all sorts of things that are uh, you know kind of coming down the line. Are, are what are you kind of keeping in your orbit in terms of uh, you know sort of things that you're watching as as you continue to hope for future legislation that allows for, um, you know, continued growth? Well, I, I will say I, I definitely keep an eye on a lot of the things that you just mentioned. I think if you're asking me, is there a world in which, you know, in in a not so you know distant future, um, someone immerses themselves into a digital experience and engages with, you know, almost like a virtual dispensary in the metaverse to be able to pick products, uh, buy them in real time, leveraging a cryptocurrency, um, and then uh, has it delivered to their door in less than two hours. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a no-brainer, right? It's going to happen. The train's left the station, whether we like it or not. And I have a young son and I don't like it, but I, I think it's inevitable um, that you're going to see just a, a continued uh, ubiquity with regards to digital, digitally immersive experiences. So whether that's VR, or AR, the metaverse, right? All of these things, which are just the internet, um, you know, you're you're going to continue to see that spread. For us as an industry, you know, people that look in crystal balls usually end up eating glass. So <laughs> I'll be pretty careful about what I say here. Um, I think that there's very little that this country agrees on. But 68 or 69 percent of the country agrees that there should be national sort of federal change to the regulatory environment with regards to uh, marijuana. Um, something like nine out of 10 uh, surveyed or, or you know, likely voters say that there should be some sort of change, whether it's medical or adult use, um, to the states in which they live, right? The programs. Uh, that's bananas. Like, again, we don't agree on anything. I'm sure that Disney World at this point doesn't have a 68% approval rating. <laughs> so it is, you know, like pizza. Maybe pizza is like the only thing that this country agrees on over 70%. Pizza is good. Um, so normalization from a federal regulatory as well as a state regulatory is inevitable, right? It's a matter of timing and it's a matter of how it happens. What does it look like when it happens? I think that we as an industry have to recognize whether everyone does or not, that uh, it's a little bit bizarre that we are legally selling a product that has disproportionately affected uh, um, communities of color, uh, inner city, stuff like that. I mean, there are people serving prison terms all over the country right now um, for doing what we do every day. And we're doing it, you know, quasi-legal. It's still federally illegal, right? Um, so I think that how those changes happen and how they happen in a way that uh, does the best that it can to serve those communities, to bring people into this ecosystem, I think that's the development that we're all watching. So, you know, New York, the big news out of New York, uh, Governor Holcher came out and said that the first hundred, I think, licenses for retail are going to go to 
uh, social equity applicants that have uh, either uh, have been convicted of uh, a marijuana, nonviolent marijuana offense, or their family has been directly uh, affected by it, I believe is the way that it was sort of uh, written. Um, so I think that you all these changes will happen. Um, and the support is there from the American people, and it's only growing. Well, with each election cycle, we see more states coming on board. And at some point, there's a tipping point, And this stuff doesn't necessarily happen in ones and twos. At some point, it'll be an exponential uh, change. And yep. while we're in this tough world of, of, uh, of regulation, each state has their own way and their own approach to how they want to handle it. I guess what I'm curious about is how you're balancing your tone and your messaging around recreational versus medical and, um, you know, kind of just how that's playing out in all of the different markets that you're in. I think you have to be careful. There are very clearly providers, I think specifically when you look at markets like California or Colorado, especially California, right, in, in L.A., where you have operators that are we are a, we're just adult use recreational in the sense that like we sell the best flower um, and and their messaging. Right. That when you go into their when you go into their retail experiences, these are very narrowly focused platforms. Um, I, we cannot do that as an operator. One, we've built an enormous following and a lot of trust in the medical. Uh, so we serve a lot of patients. Um, so we have no desire whatsoever to alienate those patients. We also recognize that there's an incredible opportunity for adult use and recreational users. I think for us, it comes down to something pretty simple, which is whether you're using this as medicine or you're using this as something recreational. Quality is one thing. Quality and consistency is something that never, never goes out of style. Everybody can agree on that. So if you're standing in line and someone is treating a chronic neuropathy and someone is saying, I'm literally going to a concert in two hours. I'm just, I'm just stopping in. They can both agree. They want the safest, highest quality, most consistent experience products possible because it's getting ready to go in my body. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a patient or a customer, we want to focus on education to make sure that you're getting the right products so that you have the best possible experiences. And then from a cultivation and manufacturing point of view, again, whether it's medicine or recreational, we are focusing on quality and consistency. What you think you're going to get is exactly what you're going to get. And it's going to be in the safest, highest quality form possible when you consume it. One of the things that I heard in one of your interviews is typically when you're first getting into a market as part of that sort of market activation, you do a lot of out of home and then kind of programmatic yeah. um, and out of home. In one case, one billboard that you did uh, <laughs> that you actually had from a messaging standpoint said we paid for this billboard with weed, right? We we played with that one a little bit. I, I will tell you the one the out of home that we've become most famous for and the one that everybody always talks about is around the holidays. We did a campaign that says, you've got in-laws and we've got cannabis, right? And literally had an arrow <laughs> just pointing at the dispensaries in every market. And it's worked really well. I mean, we, we've had people, I, I've had people send me emails. I've had people send me direct messages on LinkedIn standing on the street in front of <laughs> that in-law thing being like, you got me ready for my crazy uncle at Thanksgiving. Oh right? my gosh. And, man, the world is crazy right now. Like this, you know, we, I, I, I would absolutely run an out of home campaign right now. That was like, what the world needs is a lot more happy, hungry, sleepy, but we're living in crazy times. And I think the pandemic, what we saw with the meteoric sort of adoption rise of the industry during the pandemic is everybody's just looking for a way to calm down a little bit 
um, and, and having products that you can legally go buy now in these markets that are, you know, interchangeable with a glass of wine for many people at the end of the night, get a great night's sleep, wake up, no hangover, not a sales pitch, but it's true. Well, I think to your point too, it's getting easier and easier. I mean, now with seltzers and all sorts of other uh, interesting products, it, it, it is something that can be uh, swapped in for that yeah. glass of wine at the end of the night or, or who knows what. And so I think that's sort of in some ways changing the game. I did hear here in one of uh, your discussions um, about how widely your target customer, the personas that you work with in each state sort of uh, varies so widely. It, it was, it really was amazing in New York city versus, you know, some, somewhere rural. Um, how do you keep tabs on that customer as the market is just continuing to evolve and, and as the Sigma or uh, other reasons sort of bring, um, you know, new customers in that, that have never experienced the brand or, or really, uh, um, retail cannabis, uh, uh, before. Yeah. I think exactly what you just said, right? I mean, I, I used to, I gave a talk like a year and a half ago. Um, and it was sort of one of those moments that people keep coming back to. And it was specifically about the customer set in New York city. I talked about like, Hey, all of you can probably take a guess who our average customer is in a state like California or Colorado or Arizona. Right. But what if I, I was to tell you that the average consumer for Columbia care right now in Manhattan is a 55 to 64 year old female with, uh, you know, an incredibly affluent high net worth um, who is using it as health and wellness and medicine. And everyone just sort of paused. And it was like, yeah, I mean, that's now that's continued to change, right? As we've seen an expansion of the medical program, introduction of flower, that that customer changes. I think that that's why cannabis has to be something that feels comfortable for as many people as possible and has to be a curated brand at the retail level. We have to build product brands that speak specifically to each of those. Um, but, you know, you talk about that broad spectrum of people that we serve. I'll tell a quick story about when I moved down here. So I relocated from New York to Georgia during the pandemic. We live just north of Atlanta. And probably about six months after moving in here, it's the pandemic. So you don't meet a lot of your neighbors. But I met the people who live right across the street. And I'm not going to out anybody. But uh, this person is a older gentleman. We'll put him in the bracket of 55 to 64 and lives across the street-ish from me, right? And I had met him, we had met at a couple of sort of get-togethers for the neighborhood or whatever, and I, I was playing golf with some friends, uh, probably about three, four months after that, and we ran into him. He was actually playing in the club championship, so him and a bunch of his buddies were all there. And I saw him inside at the turn, I was getting a hot dog or something, and he said, oh, hey, what's going on? And I called him by his name, hey, it's great to see you. And he said, hey, come outside, I gotta introduce you to some of my friends. Why does this guy want to introduce me to his friends, right? So, okay, sounds good. So I walk outside. It's a table of a dozen 50, 60, 70-year-old men. They're all sitting there drinking beer. They're already done with their rounds. And this guy says, oh, I want to introduce you guys to my neighbor, Jesse. And they all look up at me as they should and went hi and went to go get back to their beers. And he said, no, 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 the neighbor. And every one of them went, oh, my God, I've got so much to ask you. I, I, there's so much I want to know about what you do. And it was like, I came over and I told my wife, I was like, I, I literally just spent 20 minutes, uh, you know, getting behind on our tea time, trying to explain the difference between CBD and THC to a table of a dozen 65 year old retired men who are out there playing golf. But I feel like that's where we are as an inflection point right now. We serve an incredibly wide spectrum of consumers across medical and adult use. So you can't build 
campaign architectures that speak too narrowly all, with, with assumptions of who it is that you're going to serve. And the other thing, the other stat that I'll leave you with, which is terrifying as a marketer, um, we're about a 20 some odd billion dollar market right now, depending on what publication you buy into. And I think they're all being very conservative. This is an $80 billion plus market in the next three to five years. Um, that means we don't know 75% of our customers. And so the indexes of what those customer segments look like and the type of messages and products that resonate with the, with the people that we serve today are not at all going to be what's going to exist in, in three to five years. And I got to imagine that tremendous amount of this is just staying in touch and just seeing and monitoring who's actually entering the dispensaries to actually get a, a pulse on that because it is shifting so, so, so quickly. So last question I had for you really was, you know, we're seeing celebrities that are launching um, pot brands and, and, and otherwise. Um, how are you kind of monitoring that space? Yeah, I mean, look, we're engaged in it, right? So I helped Tyson launch his Tyson 2.0 as their national cultivation manufacturing partner. We've had conversations with a number of other celebrities throughout the space, uh, helped uh, with Pitbull launching his CBD line N2P. Um, you know, for me, it's always been about authentic connection. Our customers, especially the customers that we serve today, are very protective of our industry. Many of them look at themselves as early adopters, as sort of pioneers of bringing to, to light what is now becoming more normalized, but two, three years ago was a very different landscape, right? And so I think that when you talk to our customers, the one thing that they don't want to see is just anyone and everyone throwing their hat in the ring, I sell weed now. They're, they're kind of like, that's ridiculous. Like, that doesn't make any sense. When, when I spoke with Mike, Tyson and his his team, Adam Wilkes, who's the, the CEO over there, who's the former uh, CEO at One Plant, and Chad Bronstein, who's the chairman over there. He runs Philo, one of the, the biggest technology companies in our space, right? Um, when I What I came away from those conversations with them is Mike is incredibly passionate about what the plant has done for him in his life. He's had, obviously, an incredibly checkered past and has used cannabis as a way to fundamentally change himself as a person. And that story and the fact that he lives that, he smokes every day. He uses heavily every day and has his own strains and has his own favorite things and his own perspective. And he can walk into a grow and look at plants and know that they're healthy, right? Like that level of authenticity, I think, is something that is, um, it's incredible. To, to be around. And so for me, the celebrity brands that are coming from celebrities who cannabis is a part of their life and has either done something for them personally or for their family or whatever it may be, these are the sort of things that I want to be a part of and the stories that I want to help tell and amplify. And I think Columbia Care as someone who has is one of the oldest MSOs in the country and someone who's synonymous with medical research and working with universities and and uh, research partners we have to sort of we have to stay committed to that to, to finding authentic use cases for how the plant can make people's lives better 
Well, at the end of the day, storytelling in, in so many ways is what's going to solve for that total addressable market. Because as you start to see your favorite celebrities, your sports stars, your athletes, or the person across the street starting to utilize it, you start to look at the product completely differently. Well, I feel like I have so many other questions I could ask you, but I want to be fair for time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today uh, and uh, very much excited to continue to follow all the great things that you guys are working on. And and uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. You got it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Brand to Brand podcast. Subscribe and share to unlock your platinum membership. <laughs> Just kidding. That doesn't exist, but we'd really appreciate it.